Well, just a reminder that we are going to be celebrating communion together at the end of our service today. And so if you did not receive a set of communion elements when you came in today, if you want to just hold your, if you would like a set, just hold your hand up high and a member of our host team will be happy to bring those to you. And I want to especially welcome all of you who are watching with us online at Faith Troy at Home right now. We're so glad to have you with us along with us in the room here as we worship together today. And I just want to begin um, by saying thank you because last weekend, was just such an amazing, amazing start and a beginning to our four campaign. And once again, um, your over-the-top generosity, your over-the-top compassion, your over-the-top love for people in our world, it was just so humbling to see. As of this past week, you have already sponsored 52 families in Guatemala. You've raised almost $10,000 to give away to three awesome nonprofits in our community. And you are bringing the joy of Christmas into the lives of dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of children here in Metro Detroit, but also up in the UP as well. Now, if you did not get a chance yet um, to give your 1995, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online right now, you can still do that. I'll give you more instructions on how to do that at the end of our time together today. In fact, you're going to be able to do that um, all throughout the course of this series for the next two weekends. Either give your 1995. There's still about 20 children that we're hoping to partner with a family here with Hope so you can do that as well. And we, you can still choose a child to help sponsor for Christmas this year through Gifts for All God's Children. And all of that is available in the lobby. It's available online. I'll talk more about how to do that at the end of our service. Now, um, if you're new with us or you weren't with us this past weekend, um, our four campaign is our annual celebration of generosity. This is where we get to come together corporately and we get to celebrate corporately what it is that Jesus has done for all of us individually. And the way that we do that is we all contribute a one-time gift of just $19.95 and then we take all of that money, whatever comes in over the course of these four weeks in this campaign, all of that, we give 100% of it away to some amazing nonprofits and charities in our community to help them bless the people that God has called called them and put them in our communities to serve. These nonprofits, these organizations that we sponsor, they uh, help with things like this in our community, hunger, medical care, housing, human trafficking, education, family stabilization, and community health. Now, we have a number of different ministry partners that we work with all throughout the course of the year. Uh, organizations like Trinity Community Care, um, Crossroads Pregnancy Center, the Victory Mission up in the UP, Gifts for All God's Children, Ellie's House, House of Hope, the Luke Project 5-2 Clinic, and many, many, many others. But it's during our four campaign that we have this chance once a year to highlight and to bless a couple of these as well as some other awesome and amazing nonprofits here in our community with some very much needed and some very unexpected gifts that you generously supply through your $19.95. And I say unexpected because none of these organizations have asked us for anything. They have no idea that we're doing this, so this is a complete surprise to, to them, and that is one of the things that makes it so much fun and such a celebration for us. It's also the time every year that we get the opportunity as a church to come together and we get to focus in on one of the most central and one of the most core teachings of what it means to follow Jesus. We looked at it briefly last week. It's when Jesus said this. He says, by this... By this, a new command I give to you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this, by this unique brand of love, by this type of love that actually lays its life down for somebody else, by this love, Jesus says. Everyone, right, everyone will know that you, that you're my followers, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, last week, we also, we recognized that even though these words are very familiar to many of us, and many of us have heard these many different times in our lives, we also recognized how unique they are because we saw that this is the only command. It's the only command in the entire New Testament. It's the only thing Jesus commands us to do as his followers in order to be recognized by the people in our world as his followers. Because, right, right from the very beginning of the church, Right, long before there were Bibles, bands, or buildings, from the very beginning of the church, Jesus' followers became known for unusual and extravagant acts of compassion and generosity being demonstrated towards the people of their community. Even when the people in their community didn't look like them, didn't act like them, and didn't even believe like them. In fact, this was the only platform that the first century church had. They didn't write books. They didn't publish articles. There certainly wasn't any social media or podcasts. The only way that followers of Jesus had in the first century to impact their communities were these two ideas of generosity and compassion that came directly from the teaching of Jesus and which were, in fact, in very, very stark contrast to the world in which they lived. Because the Roman culture that dominated the world in the first century and dominated so much of the world in the first century, that culture believed that the entire universe was ruled by a council of 12 different gods who could not care any less about humanity because for those gods, people were nothing more than playthings. And so consequently, the people of the world at that time, they just simply adopted the values of their own gods, which meant that there was no compassion. There was almost no generosity in the first century. Women had no rights. Children had even fewer rights. Most children were thought of as a burden, not as a blessing, which meant that if you had the money and if you had the power, you could pretty much do whatever it is that you wanted to do. did not matter how you treated people. Not only was slavery encouraged and acceptable, Slaves weren't even considered to be people. They had less value than cattle. There was no such thing as a human right. And see, it was into this incredibly violent and this incredibly non-generous and non-compassionate world that Jesus began to preach and to teach this unheard of message of compassion and generosity because Jesus said that every single person, every man, every woman, every child you will ever meet, all of them were made in the image of God. Which, which meant that every single person you would ever be eyeball to eyeball with in the course of your life, all of them had incredible inherent value. And see, these ideas were so new and they were so radical and they were so contrary to everything else in the culture at this time, yet those first century followers of Jesus, they took hold of these ideas, they embraced this teaching, and this actually became the very thing that gave them influence. This is what gave them influence in their own world. And so consequently, generosity very quickly became the trademark of Jesus' followers. 
And so for the next few weeks, um, as we kind of move through the rest of our four series today and for the next two weeks after this, I I want us to talk very specifically about this whole idea uh, of generosity because, and this is going to be helpful for, I think, for many of us, right, generosity, genuine generosity, it actually transcends both inspiration and guilt, And see, this is why this is such a big deal. This is why we're going to talk about this, because this is a little counterintuitive. But genuinely generous people are not moved nearly as much by the big inspirational push, and they are never motivated by guilt, because generous people have, in fact, moved beyond both of these things. Because, see, generosity is more than just simply random acts of, of giving. Generosity, genuine generosity is way more than just this. Now, time out here because I can feel the trepidation in the room and online right now because whenever somebody with one of these things strapped to their head starts talking about generosity and giving, everybody starts to get a little bit nervous, okay? So let me just kind of calm me all down, and I want to make a little bit of a promise here today and for the next couple of weeks. This is not about me trying to get something from you, right? That's not what this is about. And the truth is I actually want, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. We want something for you. And so as we talk about this whole idea of generosity, let me just make you a little bit of a promise. And for those of you who have been around for a while, hopefully you'll believe me when I say this. For those of you who are new, um, maybe not, but I'm still going to make you the promise anyway. Right? As we move forward in this series, as we talk about generosity, here's the promise that I want to make you that we're going to build on each of these weeks. When you truly become generous, right? not just somebody who does random acts of giving, Right? And we all do random acts of giving. I'm not against random acts of giving. They're fun. They're exciting. They're helpful. Right? From my perspective, the more uh, random acts of giving in our world, the better. But when you truly become a generous person as Jesus defines generous, and all of us have to be taught this because what we're going to see today is that this is not natural. When you truly become a generous person as Jesus defines generous, you will give more. That's not surprising, but here's the surprising part. This is why I don't want you to get freaked out by this. You will not only give more, you will save more, and you will, in fact, consume less. Now, if you don't like my promise, right, if you don't like this promise, Jesus also makes you a promise when you become truly generous. This is Jesus' promise. Jesus promises this. He promises that you will, in fact, be happier. Because the truth is, you have never met an unhappy, generous person, have you? Right? This is Jesus' promise. When you become truly generous, you will, in fact, be happy. Because the truth is this, and and we all kind of know this, but today, um, this is going to be a little bit of a reminder for some of us, right? You cannot, when you're, if you are looking for happiness, right? If you're looking for happiness, you cannot acquire, you cannot consume, you cannot even exercise your way into happiness. It is not possible. Because, see, this is what all of us do whenever it comes to acquiring, consuming, and even exercising. And I'm guilty of this, so this is not me pointing my fingers at at, at any of you. This is just what's true of all of us. What we do is we look around and we look at the things people acquire. We look at the things that other people consume, right? And I don't mean food. I just mean the stuff that we consume. 
And then we look at the way that other people look, and, and, and we say to ourselves, okay, well, um, if I could get that for myself, if I could have that for myself, if I could get some of those things, um, if I could, you know, kind of look like that guy over there, well, then maybe I'd be happy. Right? Because the truth is, I do the very same, same thing that you do, and, and, and I, I look at you and I think, okay, you, you look like you got it going on, so if I had more of me going on like you got it going on, then maybe I would be happy. But the problem is, right, the problem is, all of us, all of us, if we're honest, we just kind of tend to put on a, a happy face quite often, don't we? And so we might look around at a whole bunch of other people who are not any happier than ourselves, but the temptation is we see a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of things and we think, okay, if I could have their house and if I could have his income and if I could have his car and if I could have um, his education and if I could have his kids' education for, for my kids, well, then maybe I'd be happy, right? And we create this composite picture of what we think the ideal person or the ideal person's life should look like. Because while it's true that probably there is not probably anyone in the entire world that you would trade places with completely, right, and give up everything that's true about you, there are people that we look at and we think to ourselves, okay, I would kind of like to pick and choose different parts of that person's life and bring them into my life. But you know what the problem with this is? See, the problem with the composite picture of the ideal person is, is that it's Frankenstein. Right? It's Frankenstein. It is a monster. It does not exist. It is not real. The composite person, the, the composite picture of an ideal person that's kind of pieced together from all these different people that we meet, from all these different experiences that we see people having, and from all the different things that they acquire, that is not real. It does not exist. It is a monster. And see, here's the hard part that you, you may have a hard time believing until you just kind of push a little bit below the surface on this one. You may not be able to acquire or consume or exercise your way into happiness, but according to Jesus, you can give, serve, and love your way there. And see, Jesus knew this. In fact, many of you know this. Meanwhile, others of you, you haven't experienced this because you're so busy trying to acquire, consume, or exercise your way into a happiness that you're never actually going to get to. That is, until you learn to be generous as Jesus defines generous. Now, if you don't believe me with all this, then when you get home today, then what I want you to do is get out your computer, go to Google, and if you're watching online right now, just do this after I'm done. Don't do it while I'm talking. But get on Google, and I want you to go out there, and what you'll discover is there's just piles and piles and piles of research all over the place from all over the world, basically all asking the same question. The question is this, is there a connection between generosity and happiness? Is there a connection between health and generosity? Is there a connection between health and happiness and generosity? And what you will discover is that project after project after project, all of them come to basically the very same conclusion, which is that there is, in fact, a connection between people's health, people's happiness, and their willingness to be generous as Jesus defines generous. Now, one of the most interesting studies I found, I'll just tell you about one of them, um, was a project that was actually done just a couple of years ago in the UK. UK. It was a large national level um, study. It was done over the course, of, it was a longitudinal study. It was done over the course of 20 years. And in this study, they were asking this question. They said, is there a connection between happiness, health, and selflessness? Meaning, 
serving and being generous as Jesus defines generous, right? And here's the link that they found between all those ideas. If you volunteer, right, meaning if you actually have a lifestyle of carving out time to volunteer somewhere in your community, volunteer somewhere in your church, even volunteer somewhere at a nonprofit that, that, you, that you care deeply about, here's what they discovered that was true over the course of their 20-year-long study. Less depression, less heart disease, and less stress. And then they went on to say, for teenagers specifically, far less drug use and far less, far fewer unplanned pregnancies. They went on to say in the study that most teenagers who volunteer also end up volunteering as adults, and so the teenagers not only start with this, but they end up getting all of these benefits as well. And it's so fascinating because research from literally all around the world with different groups of people uh, phrasing the question in different ways, but basically all coming to the same conclusion, which is simply that, that one of the best things that you can actually do for yourself is to not focus so much on yourself. And see, here's the question that all this data from all these different studies is really, really just begging to be asked, right, is how in the world, right, how, how in the world, how in the world can behaving selflessly Right? How in the world can behaving selflessly actually make myself happier? Or we can say it this way, how in the world can emptying myself, how can that leave me feeling so full? And again, many of you, you've experienced this. You, you get up early, you, you stay up late, you do something someplace on a weekly basis. Many of you, you, you serve here on Sunday mornings, you get up early on Sunday mornings, you give your time away. You give your life away, and at the end of the day, you come home tired, but feeling full. But have you ever even stopped to ask yourself the question? I mean, why in the world is this true? Why does this happen? How is it that when I give myself up for someone else, I actually like myself more? Why is pouring myself out so fulfilling? Why is it that I'm actually happier when I'm doing something for someone else rather than when I'm doing something for me? I mean, it doesn't even make sense if you stop and think about it. And see, the truth is, this is why many people, it's why most people, in fact, it's why they don't ever do this. Because we say things like, well, listen, I don't have the time. But if you look at the research, right, the truth is, you don't have the time not to. Because as strange as it sounds, one of the best things that you could actually do for you is to quit doing so much for you. One of the best things that you could actually do for your family is to not focus so much on your own family and go and focus a little bit on somebody else's family. One of the best ways for you to actually feel filled up is to learn how to go and pour yourself out. It is to live generously. But again, how can this be? And see, the truth is, it comes down to two little words that are found throughout the pages of this book, and those two little words are simply this, divine design. That you were in fact created 
by your heavenly Father to live with open hands. You were created to be generous. And you were created by your heavenly Father to do all of the things that the New Testament refers to as the one another's, right? To love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to carry one another's burdens, and to forgive one another. You were designed by your heavenly Father to actually go and one another, one another. But see, the problem is selfishness, right? This is a part of your design, divine design, but selfishness is what comes naturally, right? Selfishness is what comes naturally. Now, selfishness was not a part of your divine design. Selfishness is, in fact, the result of brokenness. And again, you, you've heard me say this before. Sin always separates, right? Sin always it separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It even separates us from ourselves. Anytime you have a challenge in your marriage, someone has sinned. Anytime there's a challenge at work, anytime you have any kind of a challenge relationally, somebody has sinned, either an Old Testament sin, a New Testament sin, or you just make up your own definition of sin, right? Somebody did something that they were not supposed to do because sin always separates. But see, for the context of today's discussion, it actually goes even deeper than that because sin always separates us into our own self-centered little worlds. Sin is what constantly whispers in my ear, Joe, spend all of your time and all of your resources on you and then you'll be happy. Joe, spend all of your time and spend all of your resources on you and then you will finally feel filled up. And yet observation and even experience and certainly even research, they all tell us the very opposite. That you are the most filled up when you pour yourself out. But again, why? Because this is the way your Heavenly Father designed you to operate. And sin, sin has broken that. And so consequently, we all fall for the lie that I am enough to actually fill myself up. But time and research and experience all tell us the exact opposite. That is absolutely not the case. And see, when you discover... And when you kind of scratch beneath the surface of all this, what you discover is that happy people, right? Happy people are people who have figured out a way to give their life away. Now, it's the Apostle Paul who in a letter that he wrote in the first century to a group of Jesus followers living in the city of Galatia, who really highlights and explains this for us, and he shows us this incredible contrast between living for ourselves and living in the way that our Heavenly Father would want us to live towards other people by living generously. This is what he says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. He says this, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, if you've been a part of church for a while, then you have undoubtedly heard this verse. But if the New Testament is new for you, this word that we translate as flesh, it just means whatever comes naturally. Right? If whatever you would just naturally kind of on your own do. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, if you were just to do whatever you wanted to do, if you were able to get by with anything and there wouldn't be any consequences... If you could just do whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do it, with whomever you wanted to do it with, 
and that was not going to come back to haunt you? He says it, it's really not a secret what that would look like. He says it's, it's in fact, pretty, pretty obvious. He says it would look just like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, which is basically excessive sexual behavior, idolatry, meaning trying to get God to do what you want God to do, witchcraft, you know, trying to harness the forces of nature for your own benefit, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, if you just kind of pick up your feet and you kind of just go with the flow of where life and where culture is taking you, you just go with that current, he says, this is where that's going to end up. It's not a mystery. It's predictable, he says. And see, all of this, and this is what I want you to don't miss this, all of the things listed in these two verses that are, again, so familiar to so many of us, right? all of this is pleasure at someone else's expense. Right? Don't miss this. All of these are pleasure at someone else's expense. Somebody else always pays the price whenever you give in to your natural, selfish inclinations, even when you can get away with it, even when you don't get caught. Even when nobody holds you accountable, pleasure at somebody else's expense, someone else always suffers when we give in to these things. Why? Because every single one of these things are appetites. And when you feed an appetite, it does not stay satisfied. No, it actually grows. And when you cannot satisfy an appetite, you become frustrated and you become angry. And so the Apostle Paul says, listen, um, our sinful nature, our flesh, all these things that just come naturally, if I just give in all the time to whatever it is that, that I want, if I just say yes to me long enough, eventually, he says, as much as you try, as hard as you try to fill yourself up, you will always be left wanting more. You will always be left frustrated and you will always be angry. In short, you will not be happy. But then he contrasts it and he goes on and he says this in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit, right? And notice the contrast here. Fruit of the Spirit compared to acts of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit versus acts of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit refers to, 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 that, to, to that time um, when, when we finally say to our Heavenly Father, okay, Heavenly Father, I am tired of living just for myself. Heavenly Father, I am tired of living, uh, focusing on just me. He Heavenly Father, it is not working. I am tired of tr constantly trying to fill myself up because the harder I try to fill myself up, the more frustrated and the more angry I, I, I get, the less satisfied I feel. And the truth is, Heavenly Father, I don't get it. I do not understand because I have more money than I've ever had. I have nicer clothes than I've ever had. I'm in better shape than I've ever been in in my life. And yet I still just constantly, constantly, constantly feel like I am striving, striving, striving. And see, the Apostle Paul says, okay, contrast that feeling with thy will be done in me. Heavenly Father, thy will be done in me. The fruit of the Spirit is when we can finally say to our Heavenly Father, I get it. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. Heavenly Father, it's actually about you 
Heavenly Father, it is about other people. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. I'm going to move at your speed, not mine. It's kindness. It's goodness. I'm going to do the right thing, even when it costs me. It's faithfulness. You can trust me. It's gentleness. I'm going to use my strength for your benefit. And it is self-control. The Apostle Paul says, listen, when we decide, when we stop finally pursuing the desires of the flesh, that selfish part of us that every single one of us can just so easily and so quickly identify with and instead say, Heavenly Father, I want your will. Heavenly Father, I want you to live your life in and through me. He says, this is what your heavenly Father is actually going to do in you. This is what he's going to produce in you. This is what he is going to make happen in your life. And then he goes on, and in the very next verse, he makes one of the most brilliant statements in the entire New Testament. It's one of the most brilliant statements in all of literature, especially ancient literature. He goes on and he says this, against such things, there's no law. There is no law. Now, here's why this is so brilliant. Because this is the environment in which you will flourish. Right? This is the environment in which life, right? Imagine your current life. Imagine your current family life being characterized by these things. By love, by joy, by peace, by patience, by kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, the reason we know intuitively that these things would be great It's because you were designed for this. You were literally made for this. You were designed to live in a physical community. Don't miss this. This is not a spiritual, ethereal thing. No, he's saying this is meant, this is the community that you were meant to live in. And this is why it's so brilliant. Because a community like this has almost no need for any law. Because if I'm for what is in it for you, and if I'm for what's in your best interest, and you are for what is in my best interest, then we can get through anything. I mean, we can solve any problem. And every single one of us, we can go to bed every single night without any fear and without any anxiety. I mean, can you even imagine how immediately and drastically the stress level would drop? Can you imagine how much less anxiety there would be in our world? Can you imagine how much different our communities would be? See, Paul says this is literally what you were created for. You were made. You were made for this. Listen, selfishness might come naturally, But that is not by design. You were created. You were created to live a life characterized by these things. Family works better when it's characterized by this. Communities, come on, work better when they're characterized by this. Nations work better when they're characterized by this. 
And see, the Apostle Paul is telling us, listen, Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you into a selfless and into a generous way of living. And it may not be intuitive, but it's true. The more selfless you are and the more you learn to give yourself away, the more generous you are, the happier, the happier you will be. Need more evidence? How do we measure the value of a life? Right? You're at a funeral. Somebody with one of these things stands up and they get ready to say some words about the person who is deceased. You want to know what you never hear in those situations? You never hear anyone talking about these things. How immoral they were. How impure they were, how indulgent, how hateful, how jealous, how envious, how angry, how selfish, how argumentative they were, how, how often they got drunk, right? You never, nobody ever talks about any of these kinds of things, right? He, he was so selfish and so envious, and when he wasn't drunk, he was asleep. I mean, his life was just so inspiring to everyone who saw him, right? You never hear those things. Why? Don't miss this. Because intuitively we know that none of these have any value. None of this makes any contribution to life. It makes no contribution to a life or to a community's life. Listen, every single one of these things, they are all about consumption. They are about the exact opposite of generosity. We know they add nothing to society and they add nothing to life. And yet every single day, you and I, all of us, we are, we are tempted. We are tempted to just get up and spend our whole lives consuming and focused on me. My time, my resources, it's all going to go to me. Selfishness may be natural, but you were not designed for selfishness. Selfishness ultimately, ultimately it will kill you. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. That's what we celebrate, right? And that's intuitively what we know is most valuable. Giving your life away is, in fact, what makes you great, right? When we see a person who gives a portion of their life away, we think to ourselves, okay, that is a great man. That is a great woman. And I don't mean that you go and you do something that your company makes you do twice a year. Okay, no, I'm talking about you systematically develop a lifestyle where you are systematically giving your life away because you were designed. You were designed for generosity. You were made for more than simply you. It may not be intuitive, but it is absolutely true. Now, peace, on the other hand, Peace, on the other hand, is different than happiness, right? Peace is all about receiving the forgiveness that Jesus offers. His offer to actually exchange your guilt for His grace. His offer to exchange your striving for His acceptance. Peace is different than happiness, but see, don't miss this. Jesus offers us both. C.S. Lewis said it best when he said this. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. It is not there. There is no such 
thing. It does not exist. What Jesus demonstrates on the cross is generosity in action. It was the one who had abundant life, giving abundantly his life to you and for you. Last week we said something that's so incredibly important that I want to make sure you you do not miss this week as we wrap this up. Whenever we're talking about generosity in the course of this series, whenever we're talking about generosity as a church and why we are motivated to be generous, right? The way that Jesus always defines generosity, it is never about doing for others, hoping for what they may someday do for you. It is always about doing for others because of what's already been done for you, right? Our Heavenly Father, when we were helpless, when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin, He did something for us through Jesus. And abundant life is found in giving away our abundance. Happiness and peace are both found in the life that Jesus calls us to live, a life that's lived sacrificially. Because while it's true you may never be able to acquire or consume or exercise your way into happiness, you can give, serve, and love your way there. Because Jesus says, it is happier. It is happier to give than to receive. Now, listen, if you have not given, if you have not had the opportunity yet to give your 1995, if you want to do that this weekend, you can do that in the lobby today. You can give a cash or check gift in one of those baskets. You can also swipe a card with the people that have the iPads out in the lobby. Um, We have about 20 more children that we're still hoping to partner families with through Children's Hope Chest. And this year we are looking to bring... Christmas joy into the lives of 400 children, okay, 400 children in Metro Detroit as well as in the UP up at the Victory Mission. And so the way that works is you sign up today to sponsor a child. You can choose whether it's a boy or a girl. You can choose what age group you want. You will get that child's information emailed to you. And then you go out and shop for a gift for them. You wrap it all up and then you bring it back here to faith anytime between November 29th and December the 6th, and that gives us the time to get that to where it needs to be for Christmas. Um, if you're watching online right now, we're going to put three, three links into our chat system. If you're watching at a different time, then you just simply go to our website, go to faithtroy.org forward slash four, and you can do all of those things right here. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, my prayer and our prayer for us corporately, Father, is that every single person in this world, each of us in this room, everyone who is watching online right now, and Father, even the people way beyond um, our, our own relationships, but Father, people who you know and who are valuable to you, our prayer is that all of them would know that they are loved, that they are cherished. Father, that you do not want anything from them, that instead you actually want something for them. You want them to know what your son Jesus gave to them, the gift of new life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of joy and peace, the gift of freedom, freedom from the power of fear and freedom from the power of sin and even death. 
And Father, we recognize that as your church, as, as the body of Christ in this place, we know the reason we're still here is because we're not finished doing what it is that you've called us to do, to take that message into, of Jesus into every relationship so that every person may know, so every person may understand the depth of your love, the power of your grace, and the peace, the peace that comes in having a Savior. Father, we know that none of us is perfect. We know that all of us, we fall short. All of us, we give into these obvious desires of the flesh. And Father, we ask that in these next few moments, that for each of us, that you would listen to us as we confess our sin to you personally and silently. The good news of the gospel is that your Savior, Jesus, is generous with his grace. He has extra grace. He never runs out of grace for you, for us, for this world. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has forgiven your sin, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has your heavenly Father removed your sin from you, that you are forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat all of you, this is my body. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Take and drink, all of you. This is the New Testament. This is the new covenant. In my blood, it's been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Whenever you do this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so take and eat the body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take and drink the cup of the new covenant in his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And whenever we do this, we do it all for the worship of and the celebration of his goodness and his grace in our lives. So let's worship together today.